we all have fears of death we have fears of pain it likes to be the cause of the tears the grief it's an it now we have a tendency to gravitate towards stories where those things take a concrete form that we can grasp el cuco is that kind of creature Thank you for coming back to I Talk Shit and Read, Book to Screen. We are here again to talk about HBO's The Outsider. And again, Toya is here with me because she can't get away from me. And joining us because he's cool like that would be Phenol Black from 40 Acres and the MTR Network Movie Trailer Review Critic Podcast. Welcome to the play, B. How you doing? I'm good. Appreciate the invite, y'all. Sorry that I didn't get you in on the first ones. Uh, I was very unclear as to what was happening on schedule-wise because I'm Black and on CP time. Mm-hmm. But uh, just kind of catch everybody up. We have had six episodes air on HBO uh, out of the 10 that are going to be here. And today we're going to kind of do a catch-all catch-up. But I kind of wanted to start with you. Uh, Toya had just asked you, had you read the book and what did you think about the show up to this point? So um, I have not read this book. And by read, you mean audible. Because I yes, don't read. Yes, yes. I mean, have you listened to this book? I recognize and acknowledge. Yeah, real niggas don't read. We do campfire tales. Um, <laughs> Listen, I, I just with you, man. I ain't mad. I can't talk to you. Yeah, I don't have time. I got other stuff to do. So I'll be like, let me listen to this story real quick. For me, like with Stephen King stuff, I tend to go back. And I guess it works one way or the other way. I either go and I audible the book first, and then I watch the adaptation TV or film. Or if I know I've already seen the film or TV adaptation, I go ahead and I get the book. And then I revisit the film or TV adaptation. So with this one, this is fresh. I went ahead and I just started watching the show because I think I I didn't have, I was trying to find a way to get back into HBO before I cancel it because I'm not going to keep it. And Mm -hmm. I started watching this and it was so good. I think they only had three episodes at the time. They had four. They had four episodes at the time. So I binged all of them. And then I was so, the energy from watching this was so high. I ended up binging like five episodes also of Westworld season two because I had fallen behind. So I'm like fully vested back in HBO now because of The Outsiders. The Outsider. Wait, doesn't Westworld start in March? Yeah, the third season does. But I was a whole season behind. Because I didn't want to invest time in it. I just never invested time in getting back into it. Well, I'm glad you got back into it because, you know, uh, I, I need people to talk to. But that's how HBO gets you. Because, well, I'm not going to get rid of my HBO just because I was watching Watchmen and a couple of other things. And very typically, this particular director is usually somebody when they give him a project, I'm going to watch it. And he almost always ends up on HBO. So I'm happy that you fell back into the HBO trap. Welcome. They have many fabulous things on demand awaiting you. Yeah, what is the show that's coming now with um oh, the redheaded lady? I just forgot just that quick. Nicole Kidman. That one looks good too. Oh, The Undoing? Yeah, I watched a trailer for that. I think it was in front of one of the episodes for The Outsider. I don't even know what it's about and I'm completely and utterly intrigued as to what's happening. Yeah, that one looks good too. But the one that's really got me is the um the one that's supposed to be based off the Philip Roth book about an alternate future where FDR loses to Lederman. And yeah, uh, so HBO always gets me, Brandon. I'm happy to know that you are staying within the fold. What exactly was it about The Outsider that kind of pulled you in and kept you in, just out of curiosity? Essentially, what got me with it was, one, it's Stephen King. Like, 
I know that I know how Stephen King pretty much works at this point. Um, if there are kids involved, it's going to be terrible. Terrible things are going to happen to them. And it's because parents are trash. Um, I'm watching a show and I'm like, oh, this is like a cop drama. Okay. And it's Jason Bateman is, you know, an executive producer and Ben Middleton is a producer. Okay. I can get down with this. And at some point, Cynthia Revo is supposed to show up. I found her. So cool. That's what's up. It starts off as this regular, you know, like Dick Wolf is behind the camera detective drama. And then, of course, it just manifests into something much darker, um, you know, much more cynical, just like entities. And Stephen King loves tales. Like he really just loves um, old wives tales, old Indian tales specifically. I'm surprised that hasn't reared its head up. Yeah, Native American tales. That hasn't come up in this yet. We'll We'll see how long that lasts. But you know, after watching stuff on Netflix like The Ritual, I think that these type of like dark tales kind of pull me in about different godlike creatures or things that feed off uh, humanity and our negative ass energies. Once I once I got drawn in that way, it's just more like, okay, this is not just a cop drama anymore about, you know, kids being murdered by people who don't remember murdering them and doppelganger stuff. This has turned into a whole, there's another world within our world out there type thing. And once that becomes the actual driving force of the narrative for at least one character and all other characters are experiencing it, I think that's where Stephen King stuff ends up shining the most. Like he, people's reactions to finding out that there are unknowns and that they just can't believe exist. That show, that, that is the show that, I'm, that I was waiting for it to become. But I think, in essence, it was a just a stunningly good cop drama or investigative cop show from the very beginning with Ben Mendelsohn. And then what happens to these families in the first two episodes kind of just drew me in. It it has this air of the killing. And also, it you know, it has a Stephen King flair to it. So I was I was pretty much all in. And I've gotten like four people hooked to the show that had no idea it existed. My dad being one of them. I mean, you seem to do this to your dad a lot sometimes. You'll bring something home and show it to him, and, and then he's all the way in. I, I like that about you. But I got my boss hooked to it, too. So, like, mm -hmm. now he, both of them are asking me, have you seen the new episode yet? So I'm actually, I was actually behind them until yesterday. So watching the first episode where the police decide that they want to arrest Terry Matlin in front of the entire town, and then watching the progression of how they decided we have sufficient evidence. We don't need to check his alibi. We don't even need to talk to him. And then seeing what happens to Terry, how did that kind of make you feel if we're going to get kind of think, think about it in you know terms of contemporary teams, themes? Uh, I don't think I've watched a cop show yet where the cops are smart. So watching this play out, like Ben Mendelsohn is a dumb cop for right now. He is very diligent in his, in in investigating, but he could give a wet fart about actually putting any real intrigue or personality into solving things. It seems he's he's such he just he seems like bitter, remorseful, and all of that reflects in the way he attacks these cases. So, out of spite, the way he he arrests uh, Jason Bateman's character in the beginning. Because of you find out what later, you know, he lost a child. But you can see that. And then the way they do the investigative work is the way that cops tend to seem to work, even when it, especially when it's about proving that a black person did it, that they wanted to be that black person that did it. 
they go out and they find all evidence against and they really don't he acted like he wanted to throw um questions in to make sure it was unbiased but it's really super biased when they do it that way because what they're trying to do is make sure there's nothing that's going to bite them in the ass like he had the da ready to go he had cops against this kid against this man the whole town is against this man i wouldn't be it wouldn't be far-fetched to believe that the moment this show kind of turns into the night of when jason bateman goes to prison wasn't also because of him it it's just it's a lot of shit going on that is very familiar because typically cops are trash and that is hopefully reflected in the show and it gets worse for his character the more evidence they get so yeah, it, I think it was a good way. I think it was a good basis to start. And for me, watching it as a black person, I'm just like, "Yep, this is why. If they want you to go to prison, your black ass is going to prison. It don't matter if you're innocent or not. Your black ass is going." Um, um, the Jason Bateman character is not Jason Bateman, but um, Ben Mendelsohn's character is, and I think that's what you mean by it is that they make their they make their decision before all of the evidence comes in, and then they mm-hmm. build the case around that evidence that they found mm-hmm. that that they've already made a decision about which um yeah i see your point where you're saying it seems like the cops are dumb i i could see that I, but i i don't know i feel like the taking myself out as a black person of course let's just pretend like i'm becky um when it comes to cops how should they do an investigation if if all the evidence that comes in points to one individual, because if you if you look at all the evidence that came in for him, he had eyewitness testimony, you had physical testimony, you have DNA testimony. I see your point of view, but then I don't know how else he could have structured that case. The only thing that I really had a problem with was the way he jumped the ball with going and arresting him. But it made sense to arrest him, I guess, is kind of how I saw it. See, I, I, I'm kind of conflicted in between the two of you. At first, I thought it was because I had read the book again recently that I was kind of biased ahead of it. But I kind of feel like when I went back and I was rewatching it again this morning, one of the things I noticed was how often Ralph made excuses for why he didn't do things that he would ordinarily have done before they were at a particular stage of their investigation. Like... When he went back later and said, yeah, I, I had intended to follow up on this thing from the van, but I put it to the side because everything else was so conclusive. Or, yeah, we still have massive amounts of data being tested in the labs, but I felt comfortable going forward because all the preliminary tests at X, Y, and Z. It, and, or where the DA comes in and says every, like, it started to feel like they were trying to convince themselves Mm-hmm. They hadn't done anything wrong, but for for Ralph's character, especially when he's trying to talk to to Yoon for the GBI investigator who gets involved once something happens in his jurisdiction and has questions that Ralph can't answer, it it started to feel like because they panicked that they thought they had a horrific child killer, and because they felt like they had sufficient evidence that it didn't even matter if this guy had an alibi, it didn't matter. They gave themselves every excuse. And then they turned around and used those excuses as justifications for why they hadn't done their job. I don't think Ralph is dumb. I didn't think the D, I thought the DA was, you know, trying to position himself so he could use this as a reelection case. 
I, I kind of really felt like it's a combination of what both you guys are saying. Like they, they reached a conclusion and then all of the evidence supported that conclusion. So it didn't matter that this person may have something to say that equals, I didn't do this. And then, you know, once you get further into the episodes and you realize after Harley, Holly goes hunting and finds more cases, it makes it even that much clearer how little the cops cared. Because once it wasn't a white man, once you had a Latino woman and a black man, they went to jail. No ifs, no ands, no buts. Terry got the benefit of immediately having a lawyer and that lawyer immediately turning around and getting an investigator. And that investigator immediately not only following up on what he was learning from the cops, but finding proof that was completely third party and couldn't have been corrupted or manufactured that he was somewhere else, which even let these questions linger. But those other two cases, no, no one was talking for the defendants. So I, I felt like it was less of Ralph being dumb and more of what we let cops get away from. I feel like he does more actual investigative work after Terry's death, which is the, all the things that he should have been doing in the beginning. But and, and I'll like I'll flat out just say I am biased to cop investigations because of the amount of true crime podcasts I listen to where they actually interview the cops and they explain what the hell they were doing or why they don't believe certain information or why they did they chose not to follow proper procedure in certain cases where that ended up coming back and biting them in the ass or did more in like irreparable damage to an in, an innocent person typically an innocent person of color now Terry is a white dude with the benefit of the town support like he's perfect you know we get to a point where his wife even, is even like he's so perfect i don't think he would have messed up so we get what we got last episode with her determination and where she's leaning. With this, it's just like, I'm looking at all these cops looking at this case and I'm looking at the way Ralph is going about handling this case. And it's hard for me not to see dumb because when he's, he, he doesn't even listen to his wife. She's a smarter person than him, in my opinion. She is a smarter read of character. She's a smarter read of circumstance and what could possibly happen if you, you know, gun ho trigger happy, go on up, go off about something. And he just, I don't feel like he respects her opinion. And I think that's because he's dumb to an extent. And the way this plays out, like, I don't see things ending well for his character, which would be in Stephen King's nature, but also <laughs> it's in the development of this particular character. Like, he doesn't deserve happy with the way he's been handling things. From what I've seen, and I, I, and I like Ben Middleton a lot. I think he's playing the shit out of this character. But I think that's why I also don't like the character very much. I actually like the lawyer for uh, Terry's lawyer or the sheriff or whatever. That, I don't know if that guy's a lawyer or, or if he's a sheriff that is from the night of. Because he typically seems to be playing the same type of cop character. Someone who doesn't really have a bias, right? He looks at the factual information in front of him and he's like, hey, looks like you did it. Could it be a possibility you didn't do it? Yeah. But everything from this angle right now, everything in front of us right now that we have looks like it did it. And mm -hmm. that seems to be the same way he is here, you know, outside of trying to defend Terry's name while looking at it. He just kind of like, ah, it kind of is what it is, but I'm, I'm supposed to be, I guess, like defending this family or whatever, too. So, I mean, I, I, I can appreciate that. I, I, I felt like by the time we got to episode four and five for, uh, 
where Holly Gibney's brought in, we've got a pretty clear idea of at least who the preliminary players are in Cherokee City. And I really feel like that also kind of plays into effect for how these situations are going. I don't disagree with you. Ralph needs to to stop respecting Janine. Uh, especially by the end of episode six, I wanted to punch him in his dismissive face. But this is also where I start to feel like, like Toya, Toya and I talked before about how what they were taking from the book and what how they were using it in the movie. Um, and Stephen King kind of did this in a way that's atypical for him, that he gave us full witness statements all through the different areas of Ralph's investigation. So we knew relatively soon before Terry gets arrested that Ralph actually questioned witnesses, had reviewed videotape, had you know had a, a lot of test results back, fingerprints, blood, fibers, and nothing was inconsistent. And then they kind of kept giving us updates from the medical examiner or from one of the sp forensic specialists. And I feel like in the show with them not giving it to us in that direction, it kind of gives us a little bit of tunnel vision down on Ralph and then kind of gives us a difference to how uh, Yoon, the GBI investigator, is handling the situation, like once he gets called out to the barn. And I kind of, I like the byplay between the two of them because I think it kind of brings in the energy that you're talking about that we get. Like, I personally believe, I agree with you. I think everybody's playing the shit out their characters. I, I do like how they're using the women on the show because I think to a certain extent, Stephen King has a problem with capitalizing on an amazingly interesting or intriguing female character sometimes in book, unless he's planning on killing her. Um, but at the end of The Dark Uncle, going into the next episode, so episode four, Que Viene El Cuco, when Holly Gibney comes in and you get that first moment, I also feel like we're dealing with a lot of people who don't believe in shades of gray. And I don't, I don't mean that in the sense that Howie's a defense attorney, he can defend his client and believe his client up until there's no way for him not to believe his client anymore. But I really feel like we're dealing with a bunch of evidence-based people. Uh, at least that's how they present themselves. And then you have this woman who's like, no matter what the truth is, no matter where the truth goes, that's what I follow and that's what I'll tell you. Like she's she's a step outside of the restrictions that these men have all put on themselves. And I kind of felt like to a certain extent, maybe it was because of the death of her son, Derek, that Janine is also looking at this from a different perspective and she's more emotionally engaged. So she's also a step outside of this kind of black and white, you know, what can what counts as evidence type of situation. So what what did you guys think about how they're evolving the female characters from where we saw them by the end of episode three to where we see them now? I think they're still making, is it Glory, the wife? Yeah. I don't like the way they're doing Glory. I get she's emotional. I get she's upset about the way Terry was treated. But her reactions to things, I think her reaction to Holly especially was a turnoff. But I do like the way that they're they're doing Ralph's wife's character. Um, I think that she adds a lot to his investigation. And maybe he's not, I think he's listening to her, but he doesn't want to believe her. It's kind of like the angle I'm coming from with him and their relationship. Because he is very much uh, an evidence-based type of person. Like if it, it if it's not shown in front of him, he doesn't believe it. He has no reason to believe it. Which is why to some people he comes off as a good cop. Because he only believes what is shown to him. He doesn't believe in 
uh, supernatural or things that he can't explain. And I think with his relationship with his wife, he listens to her, but he doesn't want to believe her because it's outside of the way he thinks. But is he really listening to her when he basically uh, tries to gaslight her with her re- uh, talking about medication that they've put her on before that she's yeah. clearly not on anymore? I mean, because that really pissed me off. I was, I was going to say, he dismisses the fuck out of her as far as the things that she's seen. You know, the fact that she's seen that dude, he does dismiss the fuck out of her. But I'm talking about more like in episodes one, two, and three, because there's no one person, there's no person he goes to more than to her. So every time that he thinks about something that happens in this case, every time that he has a thought, you, I remember the time that they were in the, um, in the cemetery when they were talking, when they've had moments in their bed. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about once she sees it and she has the pictures and she can, you know, tell him the things that that he's going about wrong in the investigation. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about before then. You know, he is having a really hard time believing her because he doesn't want to believe that one, his son was telling him to leave things alone. That two, she actually saw this person. That it's the same person that the the kids saw, you know, and that the other child saw as well. He doesn't want to believe that because it's outside of his purview. And then as far as Holly goes, I love her character. Um, she's a little quirky. She's a little bit outside the norm. And I love the fact that she was portrayed by someone who's a black woman. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. That's fair. B. Just to go back real quick, I'm thinking about what Latoya said earlier. So I didn't think Terry was innocent in the beginning. Really? So it wasn't so like, okay, no, because the evidence did like, they opened it with him with all the evidence pointing Mm -hmm. them that he did do it. And as far as like them pinning him for doing it, I was more I was more on the thing of like, okay, he did this, but like, why doesn't he remember doing this shit? And is there someone else involved? That's kind of like the way I was looking at it. So when it when it because of the amount of evidence, so I didn't think he didn't do it. I was just kind of like, what 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 the fuck happened with his character? Why all of a sudden would you do this? And why would you be why would you do it so dumb? Okay. That's where I was kind of like, I was like, what the hell? Maybe somebody, I don't know. Like, that's kind of how, like, somebody so was- So what did you think when they showed the video, that 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 public access video of him 60 miles away asking a question at the exact time that he would have been having to take that child and, and harming it? And so at that point, I'm listening more to what they're saying about details of, of this investigation, right? How far is he away? How much time does he have to get back between so-and-so? Could it, could it even be possible- that he could be in two different locations, not at the, not at the same time, but very close. Mm-hmm. Same time. Oh, you forensic filed this. <laughs> yeah, no, okay. I was okay. Listening. I was listening, like, okay, I can't like jump the gun and be like, well, clearly there's him on tape. He didn't do it. I was more like, okay, what the, how the fuck did he build? Would he have been able to build this type of an alibi by being there? Because I thought, I honestly didn't think they were going to show his flat out face when they showed the camera of him at the convention thing. I thought they were going to show like the back of his head and like a shirt, and they were going to be like, okay, it looks like him. But we don't have actual proof. When they showed it was actually him, then I'm like, I need to remember that this is a Stephen King film. This <laughs> could be something else that could not be him. And that's kind of when my shit changed, right? And then when he killed his character, that's when I was like, okay, it wasn't him. It's, this is something. There's something else going on here. It wasn't him. 
I think for me, when I first came to all of this and I'm reading this and I'm going through and I was like, well, maybe the timeline is wrong. Like when I first was reading through all the statements, because they made such a point of letting you know the time, like they kept driving home the time. And I, I listened to as many true crime podcasts and I watched entirely too much Forensic Files. So, and I kept thinking, I'm like, maybe the timeline is wrong. Maybe people are just not remembering when they saw Terry places or or maybe a timestamp is set wrong on on, on a video but the the image is right. But when they're saying the image was taken, it's wrong. But when it got to the point to where Terry went to jail and we had talked about this briefly, when it looked like they were going to pull one of those, another criminal finds out that he's in jail for having harmed a child. And we were going to have one of those violent prison moments around that. And he just kind of was sitting there and then just kind of moved to the side of the cell and sat back so no one could see him through the door. And I was like, did he do this? Like, I know what I've read. I know everything. I'm like, are they going to de- I'm like, did he do this? I'm like, maybe he has a twin. Maybe it's kind of some dark half shit. Because I still was on my Stephen King vibe. I was like, I don't know. Maybe maybe he could split himself. But when it got to the point to where they were about to do the perp walk to take him for his arraignment, and it was after he had had that conversation with Ralph the night before at the jail, and he was just so very calmly incredulous like, I can't believe you would believe this of me. And you start to realize exactly how much he is like a favorite son in this town. I was like, there's no way he would do this like this. There's no way that he he's clearly not a stupid man. He's also clearly not a reckless man. There's no way that he would pee all in his own sandbox like this. So when he then died at, and that poor, poor Oliver boy shot him and the cop is still like, you know, tell me now. And he's like, I didn't do this. I was like, I think this is my new favorite thing for blending in. I think this is the best way that Stephen King could think to really come and do approach something from a contemporary edge. Because I started to feel like some of the themes were this about the, it's a lot about what we've talked about right now. It's like, it's a lot about dismissal. Like, what are we dismissing in order for us to keep the foundries and the borders of our world together? And like, what excuses are we making for people or for events to make them fit the conclusion we've already drawn. And what do you do when that all starts to fall apart? And that's kind of where I felt like I was at at the end when, you know, Jack Hoskins came back in town and his dumb ass goes out drunk to that barn. And then he doesn't tell anybody what happens to him there. And, and then you turn around and they keep throwing out images of Claude Bolden. And I was like, okay, so he's the last person to touch Terry. And so by the time we got to Holly was in Dayton, uh, was it Dayton? She went to Dayton, Ohio. Am I wrong? Yes. Sure. Brandon, you know help. You know help. I'm just saying. (laughs) But by the time it got to her actually going there and you realize, because you kind of, you've got tunnel vision on this. So the first time that someone says, you want to talk to his father, bring his son back. And you realize that all of this fervor and this outrage is only contained to their little town. And like not even a like a couple of states over knows about what's going on there, but that state has its own kind of mess. That's when I remembered I was reading, I was watching a Stephen King story. It's also when I remembered I was watching a procedural from Richard Price, because they're both some tricky, tricky bastards about how they like to do shows. I, I mean, like it, it just one uh, Jason Bateman's acting does not ever make him look innocent, so that that doesn't help. His response to things, his vagueness, his facial expressions does not make him look like an innocent person. He looks like he has a devious side to him that is very calculated and smart and 
you know, could be homegrown by the devil. Like he wow. looks like he'd be a sociopath. And that's why I like him as an actor because it, it, he can yeah. he can play a malicious looking character. But um, I think what ended up happening for me was I thought the I thought the right thing about the wrong person. I thought that he will. I thought I looked at all the evidence that they presented to us in the beginning, and I went, "This guy's fucking. He's basically giving a middle finger to surveillance cameras. He is trying to get caught. Like he wants to get caught. My question is." Why does he want to get caught? And he was very vague with the police when they were questioning him about things, right? I didn't do this. You know, I didn't do this. Come on, man, I didn't do this. And I'm like, I'm like, yo, that is, you're not helping yourself look innocent right now. Like, to me anyway, it it just you look you look bothered to even be being bothered. And there's a dead kid in like that you knew out here. So I'm I'm just I was just kind of like, why did he want to get caught? It just seemed like one of those things where something, again, I felt like something might have been controlling him and he wanted to get caught. I just thought the right thing about the wrong person as we get deeper into this story, because there is a person in this story that I hope eventually is going to want to get caught. But we'll see how this new episode drops this week. Um, I agree with Latoya about most of the stuff that she said having to do with uh, Gloria. Um, I, I, I dislike the way, hmm, I dislike the way they're writing her character. But I don't think it's far-fetched either from the way that I think some white women handle situations and how they are sometimes written in shows to handle these types of situations when they're supposed to be like a hard-ass mother. And I would completely be more compassionate or empathize better with her character if she wasn't ignoring her children. Like, that's what gets me about her character seems um, incomplete, right? If she's if she's this mother that's supposed to be protecting her children and She's trying to protect her husband and she's just trying to protect her family. Then one, I don't think going off on Ralph's wife what is, is necessary ever. And two, ignoring your children, ignoring, ignoring your child and the state that she's in and determining that it's clearly just grief. And part of that comes from her dealing with her own griefs. I get it. I don't like it. So I have issues with her character whenever she's on screen. I definitely had issues with the way she left the last meeting they had. In the last episode, I was just like, you know what? I, I can't even I can't even get down with someone giving the type of presentation that Holly gave and you storming out the room as if they were talking about fucking Santa Claus. Like I just I I I'm just like blown by that. But it 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 just it didn't make me like her character more because of the way they've written her in this story. Um I think Ralph's wife is she's patient. She's patient as hell. Mm-hmm. Because couldn't be me in her situation. I could not wake up with glass in the bottom of my foot and have somebody gaslight me the next yeah. day. Just it couldn't. It, it would not happen. And I definitely, I, I was like, "Girl, you need to get a divorce." When she found the drawing that that kid did, and it was the same drawing that she did, and they'd never met before. I was like, "See, nope. You, like your husband's putting you in a situation now. You've and you've tried to save him, and he clearly don't want to be saved. It's time so, to go. Like, Jenny, you need to get out of there, ma'am. Like, you're too good for this." I know y'all been together forever. You like short men. I get it. But you need to get out of here. Leave that little man to his little death. Because he he does not want to pay attention to you giving him these signs. Um, I, I like I, I like Eunice. I like Eunice a lot because he hasn't shown much bias to anything. Exactly. He pretty much yeah. he's just, he just kind of like taking it all in. Like I read scary stories in the dark. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't necessarily, I like, I love Holly's response to Ralph. You can't believe in the devil, but you can believe in God. Is basically what she was saying. Okay. Right. And I thought that was cool that she presented it that way. And I thought I thought Eunice 
the way he talks to Ralph after that was cool. And then it was one of the other detectives. I don't know what his name was that was Alec talking Pelly. to Alec Is it Alec Pelly? Is that the other? Yeah, that's, that's the, the one who works for Howie. Okay, well, Alec, yeah, then I liked his response to, I used to read this stuff. I used to read like folk tales and lore and stuff like that. And a lot of that stuff is based off actual things that happened. It may have been stretched, but it again is no different from stories in the Bible. You know, these stories had to come from somewhere. And a lot of it is based in reality. Well, see, that's that's the thing that I, I've been sitting here kind of I like I actually wrote down a bunch of notes as I was rewriting, as I was rewatching, just because things were kind of jumping out at me. And it's like uh, I think I remember Paley because he's the one who asked, what if every once in a while we confuse a demon for a human? Because, you know, we have science, we have psychology and now we we know better than to confuse that. And we always want to accuse people from, you know, the past from having been ignorant and superstitious. And it just kind of really drives home the point to me that one of the first things that happens when somebody does something messed up is people either try to excuse them out of the mindset that they're supposed to be in to know that that's not okay, or to just call them evil. And I thought this was a really, I didn't appreciate Gloria's response, but I understood it because she still has tunnel vision on clear my husband's name. And this case is clearly bigger than that. So I kind of took her resentment and her reaction at the meeting as you went all this place and all over this, and none of this has to do with Terry. All you did was find these other people. But, and maybe, maybe it's the, you know, the white woman in her, or maybe it's the angry mother in her, or maybe it's the woman who had to throw someone out her house who tried to infiltrate it by pretending to apply to be the tutor for her kids. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. She did that. Yeah, that was awful. That whole scene was just trash. I I just think that this story works because cops traditionally look at things from an evidence point of view, right? If it isn't in my face, if it's not shown to me, if you can't prove it, then it's not real. And the story is way bigger than that. And so people like um, Ralph are going to have a hard time with someone like Holly. Because what Holly is telling him is something that he's going to have to expand his mind to believe, which is why he's gaslighting the fuck out of his wife. Because and everybody else. But this is why serial killers get away with murder for years, though. Right, right. And that's why that's why, you know, they're having this impasse is because of where they're coming from versus what's really going on. And I, I like that side of the story because I, I really do believe in some of what Holly was saying. Um, and that you kind of have to leave yourself open to it. But then I get what Brandon says because Brandon does, you know, I used to listen to a lot of true crime stuff. Listen, if I watched, if I listen to one more true crime story, I, I feel like I would just sail out of a window because people are evil and terrible and I, I can't do it. I shout out to y'all that can still listen to that stuff. But um, when you, when you're, when you're that type of brain, that's how your mind works. And <clears throat> it doesn't work for this story, which is why it's been able to do it for so many years. I mean, mm-hmm. and look at look at how far back it goes. So it went from Terry to the black guy. Man, I'm terrible. I don't remember his name. He's the last lady, Maria Hotstepper or whatever. Hotstepper, Hodge and Dodge. We gonna Hot, go with first names because this is just bad, y'all. Damn. <laughs> Uh, the black man's name was Heath. I remember because it didn't fit. Um, and 
the Latino woman's name. Like, I'm not, I'm not any less trashy, y'all. I'm just not gonna go with Haberdaber or whatever the hell it is. Brandon just was <laughs> hot stepper. Hot stopper. I think, I think, I think, I think he's Hofstetter? in the ballpark. Hofstetter. Hofstetter. Yeah. Hodgepodge. Okay. Yeah. So Hodgepodge. Hodgepodge. So <laughs> <laughs> Heath was a black man in Dayton. Maria is the black, uh, the Latino woman in New York. But see, the reason why it doesn't match is because what I said before, they are trying so hard to black up this story. So they've been blackening up characters that Stephen King, I don't think ever intended to be black or brown. But I, but I think making them black and brown actually, yeah, it, it makes the story work better mm-hmm. because I hate to say it, cops ask more questions when they have a non-brown suspect. So why did they choose, why would it choose Terry then? That's what I can't figure out. I would only, if I were it, if I were this new it, I would only choose people of color. Like I would only choose people of color. I would never choose, and he he researched these characters, like he knows about Mm -hmm. these people before he takes them. So I'm, why would you pick this white guy? I think he picks maximum, like I think he picks maximum feeding opportunities. And that's the only thing I can see, right? He's getting a huge benefit from grieving from the grief in the whole town. Yeah. From feeding off of this, because that's right. the only thing that makes sense. If you've been picking black and brown people who nobody did an investigation for, and yes, their families all, my, people in their families might have died and whatnot, but like there was no big story in the paper about that in New York or in Daytona or wherever. Like nobody cared about those people. The fact but- that we. And it's never even been reported, and nobody was like, "Didn't a cop? Didn't a kid just get killed, murdered, and like sexually abused in New York two weeks ago? And wasn't another one in Chicago two weeks before that? Like the fact that they don't even connect those dots means they weren't big stories." No, but what I was what I was saying was, I think it it where he picked Terry was when he scratched Terry in the hospital. Mm-hmm. I, oh, that's absolutely where he picked Terry. Yeah, and so I think he picked Terry because Terry was in a lot of pain. He was coming from his father's room. But I don't think that he researches the characters enough to know that they're coming from another city, another state, and that he's he's this this white guy that's super famous in the town. Okay, no, I, I think dis- I disagree. I disagree with that. I think I think he makes sure that he picks people who are gonna be far enough away. So like Brandon says, these connections won't be made and the stories will be big news where they live but they won't necessarily be nation national news i think that's not what i said what <laughs> i just think that okay so like latoya i don't think he researches them and then scratches them right but I do think when he once he scratches them he knows exactly the type of individual that he has just chosen oh sure sure sure, sure. Yeah, so okay. Okay. i agree okay. with that but I but I I think that I think there is a little bit if you look at the difference we have like six episodes in so we have him scratching for very different reasons different Mm -hmm. people for different reasons now and I'm starting to think with the way that they're building it on the screen is he yeah I, I believe he follows pain he follows grief but I also think that he's picking people where the ripples are gonna get him what he wants and feed him as much as he needs to be fed. I don't think he got fed well off the day um, off the New York case. Mm-hmm. I don't think he got fed well off the Daytona case, the Dayton Ohio case. And I think he aimed higher. I think that he's haunting around places where looking for victims, like not just cemeteries. I think he picked where his father lived because that's a sad place. Those are parents and family members who are losing their memories, forgetting who their people are, 
I think he was feeding off that hospital. And I think he, he used Heath as a way in, but Heath was a good guy. Everybody liked him. He was personable. He called his patients, his, uh, his people or, or whatever. He got along with all his coworkers. He was recognizable. I think he knew by the time that he picked Heath, because he had that when he he met him on an encounter in New York, how he was going to use him. And I think he used it to get to Terry, to get to somebody bigger who lived further away. Uh, now, this just could be me and feeding into it, but I think I think they go hand in hand because the woman was said to be a paragon, takes care of her family, donates time. She's really sweet. He used her as a murder. He didn't use her as a stalking horse. Same with Heath. But Heath's friend, Tracy Powell, his cousin, Mm-hmm. He, he scratched him you too and turned him into his Renfield. Mm-hmm. I mean, and he's, he's still feeding off Heath while he's also feeding off Terry's situation. So like, right. he's right now, but he's about to feed again. It feels like right because well, I think I think they said twenty. Uh, Holly after what is an episode and the tea drinker after she goes to New York and she gets that bartender to kind of help her spitball. And by the way, are you just going to randomly start answering questions that start to sound like murder, death, kill questions from someone sitting at your bar and then take $200 to drive them around your city? Is any anybody anybody here doing that? I mean, mm-hmm. Holly's a different person. So. I'm talking about the bartender. We all know Holly is on her own level. I thought she was trying to hit on Holly, honestly. I thought she was into some whole, like, dark uh, job. Fucking- I'm a former bartender. They would absolutely do that. $200? Okay. What? Yeah. Okay, cool. I mean, as long as as long as we still in the realm, I was kind of leaning where V was. I was like, are you trying to are you trying to I thought she was trying to get the draws. Yeah, it's like trying to make you a new friend. I mean, what's she doing over here? Even if she was, Holly is so oblivious, she wouldn't notice. Yeah. But um but like when when you started to see where Holly was going around, and I thought this was really interesting. I know you haven't listened to the book yet, B, but this is a huge deviation from how Stephen King presents Holly Gibney in the book at this point. Um, By the point that you get to Holly sitting in the bar, kind of trying to ruminate through all the things that she's learned in Ohio and in New York, in the book, we already know that Holly has a pretty good idea without anybody outside of her to what possibly could be going on. And that she brought things with her just in case something made her bring something from her home with her when she went to Dayton that she still has with her by the time she gets to Cherokee City and gives her presentation. I'm really liking how they presented it in the uh, in the show. I'm not going to tell you just because I want to bias you, B. But I think that's Holly, though. Yeah. I think think what you're talking about is a totally different Holly. So then she wouldn't have brought she wouldn't have brought what she brought in the book. Right. I'm saying I like how Richard Price is using Holly Gibney. I, yeah. I like how he's presenting the information. Um, I like I this. I think this is why I got so angry by the time that she was finished with her presentation, because everything that she did was fact based. She didn't run up in that meeting and say, yo, I think we got some supernatural demon from like uh the, that, that has existed in every civilization since time began. It's like fucking people up. She didn't do that. And like she 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 was she could have. She did it at the end, and that's where she fucked up. Because she she did have fact-based information, but in order to connect the dots, you had to think outside the box. You had to take a leap. Yeah, so it wasn't just fact-based, though. But I felt like, maybe it's just me, but I felt like by the time that she finished laying out her case and the similarities and how starkly jacked up all three cases that she had found were, 
and that she was very clear in saying that, you know, uh, sometimes what you have to do in order to get clarity is to expand what you consider to be real. I felt at a minimum, the blatant disparagement and, um, you know, F this, I'm out was unwarranted. I felt like, I felt like their response meant they hadn't been listening from the beginning when she was talking. So I, I just, that's just, cause it uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm just more open to believing that, you know, evil exists in a tangible form because by, she got to the end of it, I was at a minimum thinking something is doing this. It's not these people. I yeah, think yeah. that's what you're doing here. I think you imagine if you did a bunch of research, right? You were presenting a whole paper mm-hmm. and at the end of this paper, the conclusion you drew was, and you had to say it this way, and that's why candy corn is fucking delicious. Don't do me. Don't <laughs> do <laughs> candy corn. Get out of my house. I will shut this shit down. Don't do me. Don't it, rant. And that's, and that's what I'm, listen, listen. Rant. It's, it's all. <laughs> we better go at We do this every year, Brandon. Hold on, hold on. Do you, hold on. Do you, wait, do you like or dislike candy corn? You know I love candy corn. I love candy corn. No, chill out. I love candy corn. Ashley well, buys it every year. We eat the shit out of it. I love candy corn. What yes. I'm saying, you've never seen me debate people online about it because I already know it doesn't matter if I told them candy corn could give you 20 more years of youngin' and life. If I told niggas candy corn could make your dick bigger, they'll be like, man, that shit trash, though. Like, it doesn't yeah. matter how you yeah. if, if If you end it with the, with the wording, and that's why candy corn is amazing. People are going to completely disavow any knowledge of everything you said before it. And okay. the way Kelly ended it was the problem. That was like, at that point, she should have presented it to Ralph or like Pelly first or Eunice and had them word the conclusion because the, the last thing you hear is the thing that's going to stick with you the most. And the last thing she said was, and that's why spirit is doing it. And you can't, <laughs> can't do that that way. I was like, oh, Holly, God bless you. You came in here with three three weeks worth of facts. Like, you definitely deserve this PhD, girl. But you about not, you're not about to get it. Because everybody just got up and walked out of the room. You're like, like, you just failed your jury. Okay, I can, I can, okay, okay, I can see that. I think she presented it to, like, Eunice. And asked Eunice to, like, clean it up. Back. Right, like, like. She presented it to all of them at one point and they all had their minds like blown. Like, you know, that emoji where their head is blown off. It mm-hmm. looked just like that in everyone's faces because she's literally asking them to believe there's an entity out there, you know, eating kids for breakfast and shit. Mm-hmm. If she had gone to, you know, Eunice, not Ralph. Ralph would never have believed it anywhere. But maybe Eunice, maybe Howie, maybe Alec. I say Eunice and Alec were probably her biggest fans in there. If she had gone to one of them and then asked them to help her present it to everyone else, that might have worked. But what she did was say, basically, and that's why fish fly. And everybody went, what? Bitch, what? Wait a minute. Everything you just said was bullshit because fish You talk about the Pied Piper. Get out my house. Okay, okay, I'll get, okay, I get it. I get it. I can understand that. Juan calls it three-fourths logic. It's when, it's what hoteps do all the time. They say a lot of shit that makes sense, and then they end it with, and that's why you can't trust these bitches. And you'd be like, well, I cannot. I can't fuck with you no more, bruh. You was almost there, but you just ruined it all. So basically, Holly gave a barbershop presentation? No, but that's the way it was taken. Yeah. Because, like, she had PowerPoints and everything, man. But, okay. Okay, I'll get it. I get it. I want to back up for just a second, and I want to talk about Jack Hoskins. Okay. 
And right. how, how, you know, we talked a little, uh, Toya, I already know you're not a fan. You don't care. And you were just waiting for what happens to him to happen. I get it. But I think it's fair to say that by the end of episode four, Richard Price is completely deviating from the source material, The Outsider by Stephen King. Um, oh, can I have thing before you go any further? Shoot. I love the way it went. All right, go ahead. I love the way it's going now. Episode four on, I was like, oh, bitch, I'm in. All right, I really felt like that was the turning point. I feel like if you had, even if you had only been in this because it was a fascinating kind of dark uh, police procedural, even if you were only here because you were digging uh, the cinematography and the visual looks that were being given to the show by Ivan, who's the same dude who did The Night Of. And even if you were, like, I know some people who almost checked out after they realized that Jason Bateman was only in the first two episodes. They're like, they killed him. I knew he was going to die in the first episode. When I saw that he was an executive producer and then I saw he was in it, I was like, he's going to die in this episode. Yeah, I'm like, they let him direct both the episodes he was in. He's he about to die. They're going to stick with that. But, like, once you got to the, like, once you got to episode four, there's just no way to not say that this show is jumping the shark. You've got, uh, you've got people having uh, prophetic dreams. You've got all the different flashbacks and the way that they're giving you people's history, especially Ralph's history, that he really doesn't have any room to talk about how much Jack drinks, given how much he drank after his son died and, you know, and how it impacts your job. I really don't feel like you, there's any way to admit that this show completely jumps the shark when it comes to how we are going to get the supernatural going forward as of episode four. Agree? Disagree? Oh, I think that this show is going amazingly right now. Like everything has gotten to the point I needed to, I needed it to spin away from where, where it started, which was great into where it is now, which is everybody, this is, this is the fear shit I've been waiting for. Scary stuff. Like the, the image of Holly screening, screaming in this episode doesn't come up, which I'm sure is a dream. It's completely fine because it looks horrific. So I'm, I'm ready for everything now. Yeah. Um, no. Let me ask you a question. Are you finna? Now, now I love the way this way this show is going. Let me be clear. But are you finna try to make me feel bad for Jack Hoskins while Holly's ass is still warm in that seat right now? Are you doing that? Would I do that to you, Toya? I mean, I feel like you're doing that. No, I, I don't feel bad for Jack Hoskins. <laughs> <laughs> no. Are you supposed to feel bad for him because he's he, trying to get me to the point where no, I don't feel bad for him. No, I am he's, not trying to make you feel bad for him. I simply want you to examine your feelings and the role he's playing in the case. That's all. The only person he's protecting is the Asian partner. It's Jack. Like, and that's because they're partners. Like, he, if he would not respect her if she was on the street. Thank like, you. I, like, fuck him. He is that type of cop. He is absolutely that type. And I hate when they do this in shows. You see a cop that is clearly backwoods, Bama, fucking, I eat at, um, uh, oh my God, what's the name of that restaurant? At Applebee's Fine Dining. Cracker Barrel and White Castle. I eat at Cracker Barrel all the time with my family for Thanksgiving. We love their bread. Fuck black people. Fuck Asian people. Fuck non-white people. Like that's what he is. Golden Corral for their bread. Yes. The only Asian person, the only person he respects that is non-white is his partner because that's his partner, and that's the only time in the show he's actually nice. Every other time you see him in the show, he's fucking drinking on the job and he goes out there with a gun. Like he's drinking on the job again and he goes out there with a gun. He talks shit to people. He sits in his dogs in the arc in the dark, which means he's clearly a psychopath and it, like everybody's fine. And then all of a sudden I'm supposed to feel, feel sorry for him because his mom comes back from the grave and whoops his ass. She molly whops him all over his house. She whops his ass. Thank you. Thank and you. because he is, he's trying to prevent his partner 
from getting caught up in this, despite the fact that he's walking around with herpes on the back of his neck, knowing damn well that he's spreading the virus. Like, no, bro, I'm sorry. I don't I don't feel any sympathy for him. And yeah. the scene with him with a gun in his mouth and like, uh, go forth, my brother. Like, prosper. Like, prosper. Come on. Exactly. I don't feel bad for Jack at all. Jack it burn. Jack it burn. And I burned. can't believe you really trying to sit here and make me feel bad for Jack. <laughs> Jack can burn swiftly, okay? Uh-uh. 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 This nigga was, listen, he's shooting animals and just leaving them there. Fuck Jack. <laughs> I was not going to try to make you. <laughs> You're trying to make us feel bad. You were trying to say, oh, did you see what happened to Jack? Can you understand why he did what he did? No, no, fuck that. No, Jack and burn. No, I was going to ask, did you feel like they needed to give any kind of explanation for the relationship that is developed between Jack and the outsider, other than the ones that we got on screen? And I was asking B as somebody who's only watched the show, and I was going to ask you, Toya, as someone who knows the difference between what they gave in the show and the book. That's all. I wasn't trying to go for sympathy because I don't like Jack either. Yeah. Um, I think they did a great job on the show. It's different, right? But I think they did a great job on the show um, showing why Jack is doing what he's doing. Okay. Like what position that Jack is in or, you know, the outsider has placed Jack in. Because even in the barn scene, right, where he showed up drunk, he showed up drunk, pissed on the ground. So you know he didn't give a damn about any type of evidence. Goes into the barn that has no lights, essentially. Is in there. I don't even know what he thought he was doing at this point. You might as well have just... Dumb. Huh? Being dumb. Right. He, he might as well just went home. He could have just went home for all this shit. He could have said, yeah, I went to the barn and, and didn't bring anything because it's not like he brought anything back anyway. But, like, what happened to him in the barn... Again, I go back to the fact that these cops are evidence-based. So what happened to him in the barn, who the hell is going to listen to him? They're going to say, okay, you were drunk, Jack. Who's going to who's gonna have sympathy for him? Who's going to care? Nobody. So why would he tell anybody? Like, it wouldn't even make any sense for him to tell anybody. They just going to look at you like you're crazy. Fair. Fair point. Uh, I was only curious. Uh, Brandon, kind of, you kind of answered my question Uh in the most delightful of ways both y'all did. So, I mean, it was, it's mood at this point. I was just curious to whether or not, uh, I, I personally like how they presented Jack on screen. I don't like it. I, and that, I think this is something that Stephen King tends to do. He tends to want his men in his books to have explanations for their trash asses. Like he does not believe in, in more of his recent stories, once he's picked his villain and they've got their unequivocal evil, everyone else he likes to kind of present this image as a, just the, the flawed person who finds themselves in dot, dot, dot. I'm really enjoying the fact that Jack is just a trash ass person and you then just deal with the circumstances of what happens when a trash person comes in. But my other question was, it seems like he picks people who are in pain, but who are also ain't shit people to be his Renfields. So it made me have questions about Tracy Powell's because that's a whole deviation. That's just the show. So mm -hmm. any ideas on how you think he makes the determination of who he thinks he can bend to his will once he's picked someone to be his stocking horse during the day? I think what you just said is pretty much he picks a person who has issues and is dark. And there's no presentation of Jack in on any of this that he isn't 
not the best person to be just hanging around with, period. I don't even, I still don't understand why his Asian partner goes so hard. I don't know if she just feels sorry for him. I don't know what it is. Maybe she knows that his mom used to whoop his ass when he was a kid. I don't know. But that's the only thing I really can't wrap my head around with is her. And like, I was so expecting her to have a white husband too. I was like, this just must be like, because her whole disconnect is off. And then she has an Asian husband. I was like, so your your husband is cool with you hanging around this big Bama white boy that clearly is racist? Like, it, I think she's just a good person. All right. Well, that's her partner. So who you surround yourself with? You know what I'm saying? I just came back from the photograph and that's what it told me. You are who you around. No, I did that. I'm not going to let you do that. That's work. That's different. Well, that was perfection. Thank you. I hate both of y'all so deep in my soul, but uh, I hate y'all so much. <laughs> but at least we can all agree that candy corn isn't trash candy because I like candy corn too. But um, I just, I really just feel like, I felt like the whole thing with Tamika Collins was, you know, I think she just is a good cop. I think that, I don't think she that she thinks he's any better than he is. Say what? You're not good enough to see that fucking rash on the back of his neck. Okay. And that is not a rash. It's that not a rash. I'm gonna That's, say is that that is not a rash. That's a growth. It is and, like a, yeah. a nasty bubble. Ugh. It's a like boil. Sun poisoning. It's a boil. His boil. boil is a whole mood. Like his favorite show is Wendy Williams. That whole boil. <laughs> Are you nobody, saying the boil takes control of the remote? Um, the boil had him dragging deer heads out into the woods. So yes, oh, it really yeah. did. It did. It did. It also had him pick the wrong lamp. So, I mean, that's where we are. No, I just really feel like Tamika kind of, I don't know. I think she takes responsibility for keeping him at least not being trash when he's around other people. She stops him from beating the black off people. I got you. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't necessarily think it's so much that like she's trying to ride for him as she's his leash. Bro, she was like, why don't you hold my kid? She definitely rides for him. It's like you don't want to hold my no, but I just really feel like she takes responsibility for him in a way that I don't understand. But I'm putting it down to she's a good person. But I also think a part of it is she thinks that she has to try to keep him from going off the rails. That like she's the last thing standing between him and a, a watchtower somewhere. And quite frankly, let's be real, she's not wrong. I feel like if he fucks up, they'll just make him walk a beat. He'll be fine. No. I think when if I think it, I think outside of the situation, if Jack had effed up, he'd have ended up eating a bullet, probably from Tamika. Well, he can eat one now. Snacks available, appetizer sir. Please go ahead and eat it. I'm, I'm through. Shit. I'm, I'm voting for everybody black. Please eat. The, please eat it. <laughs> I, also, I'm extra mad that this Asian lady's name is Tamika. Why are we mad about that? I thought it was hilarious and ironic. Um, I couldn't even keep a straight face. I'm sorry, y'all. Yeah, no, no. Sorry, I tried. Okay. I failed. I mean, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'm like, I'm liking the way I felt like. I feel like she's a paper thin character. We don't get a lot of her. Um, I guess they played into the oh she's pregnant, she's on the sidelines thing. But at least they didn't kill her, so I was happy with that. But I, I think that we don't need any more moments between anybody with Jack than what we've gotten. Mm, yeah. I, I, I'm in. I'm enjoying the. Fa- I, I, the reason why I brought that up is because the alternative person that we know in this scenario, who's been uh, also scratched, was Claude Bolden, the guy who works at the um the Gentleman's Club of Sadness. Um, why are the strippers not getting any better? But there was one that had a fat ass. I will. The say big that. booty girl. Tamika, I mean, uh, Tamika, Latoya, you saw it? And I was like, wow, what town is this? What's going on right now? What like, is this? When I saw that part in the show, I was like, oh, so they don't want us to see the rest of this video. 
because all I'm focused on is that right there. I cannot help it. Wow. In this town, I was like, listen, <laughs> I'm the biggest booty ever. You didn't want to touch her. You don't want to scratch her. <laughs> Maybe he was too appreciative. He didn't want to ruin that. I don't know. But good Lord, she's in the, she need to go to Atlanta. She's in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? This is what I was saying before. See, <laughs> this is what I said the, the, the recording before. I was like, listen, I know they recorded here in Atlanta and I'm pissed off that not one Atlanta ass is in any of this video. And then that magic came on the screen. And I was like, oh, okay. I spoke too soon. Uh, they heard you, Toya, and they rectified it in the next episode. They heard you. <laughs> Different set of extras showed up for the day. Yeah. Yeah. The booty girl didn't have a shift. Um, what <laughs> made me forget my entire damn point about talking about the strip club? Oh, home dude who got scratched. Yeah. It's him. He's next. Yeah. He's the he's the next child killer, whatever person thing. Yeah. So I don't know whether or not I feel like we've gotten enough of him yet, because in the book, there's a definite reason for why it's him that we don't really have here. Do you think that they just kind of I mean, because we had said before that it was a sprint. It felt like uh, three hours into the three episodes in and we were already over 200 pages on our way towards 500 pages of the book already covered. So we're seriously outside of the parameters of the way things are doing. It's like, you know, he's still in the same town. He's still working. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't seem like they're going in that direction so far. Although I do think it's um, for somebody who says that I don't know what I believe, Eunice sure turned right around. The first thing he did was put a tail on Claude. Yeah. That's why I said that Eunice was probably her best bet in that room because he was the one that was talking to her about Cuckoo, El Cuckoo. Mm-hmm. Was, yeah. I mean, what do we think? This is where I think where you were mentioning earlier, Stephen King's fascination with um, Native cultures and indigenous peoples and everything. I think this kind of falls into that category. I just think, you know, he picked a different culture, but he picked a different, he picked a folklore or an image that exists literally through the beginning of time. She wasn't kidding when they laid it down, the Egyptians, the Sumerians, everybody. I mean, it's even in Gilgamesh's world. But uh, like the more she kept talking and saying, you know, the grief eater, uh, the child thief, all I could think was the Pied Piper. And I really feel like that might be kind of at least something that kind of sparked and sent him off down his rabbit hole to to people. Because there's a lot of folklore around, I mean, La Llorona, a lot of folklore around what the loss of children to a community, the, the the ripple effects of that throughout the community, the biggest one of which is grief and pain. So I thought that was really interesting. Do you not think that qualifies as Stephen King's fascination with, you know, indigenous cultures, B? Um, okay, repeat the last part of that question again so I can make sure I'm answering the right thing. No, I just, you had mentioned earlier that he was really fascinated with like uh, indigenous cultures and tribes and all their folklore. I think that the way that they get to this one qualifies as falling into that category. But when you had mentioned earlier, you said, uh, you know, maybe we'll see what that goes. Do you not think that this qualifies as that too? So I'm not, I don't remember what the name of this town is, but typically his towns are built on like tribal reservations and Native American old homes that white people can't conquer and kick them out of. And that those forces come back and they eat the white people for dinner at night. That and I'm I'm usually cool with that. Like I actually like those those parts of his book because it gives me history on uh, different Native American cultures and I actually go back and research that stuff to see like how faithful it is, the way he uses it. Um I think this one 
though again i'm, I'm going to mention this because it just reminds me of this movie so much it falls in with the ritual it falls in with that type of of folklore that these are the there are these and i mean stephen king used the same thing there are these there are these gods there are these creatures there are these entities there are these beings that basically just feed off of every morsel of immoral habit that comes with being a human so the fact that it's not directly being pulled from some uh, Native American or indigenous lore specifically, I'm I'm fine with it. I just expected that to be the thing. I just expected it to be some, something relative to indigenous people in this country 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 town. I don't know why I just studied like. Okay, that. I think I think I, I maybe <laughs> maybe it's because I know I've heard the stories about El Cucuy. And I was like, see, Mexican people and their urban legends and folklore are very scary. And then I went and I had another friend and she's from the island and she's like, yeah, no, we know Coco, we don't mess with them. And then, you know, Portugal. So I just think this one, just like, I think he just, like, it's the literal boogeyman. So I think he, this time he went big. I think maybe he jumped down the rabbit hole of looking into maybe one culture and realize that this is something that is unifying all the way through all of them, all the way straight through Grimm's fairy tales and our nursery rhymes, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. I, all I know is it scared me extra and made me really mad. Um, just because I don't, I don't, I don't need new manifestations of the boogeyman. I just, I don't. Especially not when they just walk around in a hoodie and stand in a crowd and eat, eat. I don't kind of just of another version of a Loki. That's that's pretty much what it just it just kind of reminds me of. So so instead of just making mischief, they're about they want to make pain. Uh, well, absolutely. That's this thing is all about making pain to eat off the grief. So yeah, like it's just and he eats children. Can we not pretend like we don't know? Yeah, he, he eats parts of the children. I feel like if you ate old people, it wouldn't be that many people grieving this hard. So yes, like there's just the the way that you can send a wave of grief through a town is to is to do something horrific to a child. I mean, if you again, I listen to way too many true crime podcasts, but that's a thing. Like the ones that the cases about children seem to be the ones that get the most attention from you know listeners. So I'm I'm not surprised that that's what he goes after. So the most recent episode that aired on the 16th was written by Jesse Nixon Lopez and directed by Karen Kusma. So we had new directors and new writers on board. And this is when Holly presents her cumulative theory about the connection between all these mysterious child murders. You know, they don't really dwell on the cannibalism, but, and kind of goes in deeper into the whole idea about what you were just talking about, B, about theory and grief and the ripples of what happens with our children. Um, did this feel like it had, did this have a different feel than the previous episodes for you guys? Because it did for me, just because there was more light, it was brighter, I felt like it moved at a different pace. Um, I kind of like more of the dialogue connections. I do agree that I did not appreciate Glory by the end of this episode, but I more appreciated Janine Anderson. So what y'all think about the change up for who was giving us our word? Oh, I enjoyed this episode. I thought it was really good. <clears throat> I thought um, that it really broke down Holly's investigation. And this is episode five we're talking about, right? No, uh, six, when she oh, actually presents it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I, the best part of that episode to me was the interactions between Holly and Ralph, and Ralph because you have two people coming from two different spectrums. And, um, you know, Ralph cannot believe what she just presented. It's completely out of his thought process he can't it's enough that his wife is trying to tell him something now he's got someone else 
you know, who they've actually paid money to. Um, and they've kind of held their hats on her investigation because they know that she's a great investigator. Um, coming to a conclusion that he can't take. He doesn't understand, he doesn't want to um, process at all. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I felt like he gave himself to take uh, permission to take a lot of his frustration with his wife out on Holly, like the way that he would talk to her and was disparaging, whereas he tried to tiptoe around trying to just kind of gaslight Janine. He felt perfectly comfortable being just blatantly flat out disrespectful in how he was rebuking anything that Holly had to say right up until she created a black light <coughs> in his in his dining room. Yeah, that black light was hilarious. That whole black black white scene was hilarious. And I and I do like how she made him talk about the dream he had with his son because they didn't really they showed the dream but they didn't show how it was affecting him or how it affected the whole case as a whole. Like when I saw the dream, I didn't put it together that in the dream the kid was telling him to leave the case alone. Oh, that was the first thing I thought. I was like, he's not, dude, he's not talking. He's not telling you to leave, stop thinking about him. This is, well, this is his way I'm of like, telling That's you. not your son. <laughs> well, yeah. the reason why I say that is because he's now in therapy talking about his son. And whenever, mm. you whenever you do therapy, it brings up all of these emotions and feelings and memories that you've kind of like pushed down and you try to avoid. Whereas once you start doing, you know, therapy kind of pulls all that out. So when he had that dream, I thought, oh, okay, <clears throat> this is because of therapy. And I really didn't put it together that it was El Cuco coming in his dreams, talking to him. So I think that was a I think that was good editing on whoever uh cut these episodes because they and maybe the direction was always that as well. Um, for them to put those scenes like that, I think was supposed to throw you off. For it to be his son and not, you know, one of the people that died. It could have been Terry. Mm -hmm. that came back and told him to leave it alone like you fucked up my life enough enough man just let me die let me rest it could have easily been that but i think the fact that they do have us seeing him go to the therapy sessions and then he gets this imagery he sees his son in a dream telling him you know you have to let me go and i remember thinking okay did the son say let me go or let it go because those are th those are two different things and i think the son actually does say let me go but yeah and I was like, he, this is the, this is this monster thing saying, let me go, actually. Like, this is him. Like, you're doing this, you know, because of the grief of your son and you feel like you, the grief of Terry and all these other things, but you have to let this grief go because then you'll let me go and I can go on and continue to eat children around the world. So, um, um, and I was, I like the way they did wrap it back around with Holly kind of not really pressuring him in a way that you're used to. She could have screamed, just tell me what the motherfucking thing said to you in your dream, because I know you had one, you son of a bitch. And she didn't say it that way. She was just like, no, what did that thing say to you, though? And it wasn't even a, what did your dream say? It was, what did he say to you in your dream? Because it was him. Yeah. You keep trying to deny that it wasn't him, but it was him. What She's was like, he... fine, but what did he say? <laughs> he visited you, man. What did he say? What did he say? It wasn't, what did this? What did your son say? What did he say? I thought it was also going back to your point earlier about, you know, the things that they do and don't do when they investigate, how she sat at the table and she's like, well, did you take fingerprints? And he gave her all the reasons of what he did do and why it meant that he didn't do something as basic as step number one. If you want to know if somebody was in your house is you take fingerprints. Um, so she was just like, so, so that's a no on the fingerprints. That's a no. And I thought that was very well done and I really appreciated it. I like the way that they present Holly being very matter of fact. And I and I and I and I and I like the way that you're not too sure if her intuitiveness 
is simply because she thinks differently or if it's if it's bigger than that. And I like the f- way that the fact that they don't feel like they need to explain it anymore. I don't appreciate little Mr. Let me show up in your dreams and tell you what's going to happen. If you don't do what I want, like I'm gonna steal your baby that you just had, or I'm gonna crash your bus. That was wild. You- yeah, that was, that, crazy. that was wild. <laughs> I was like, okay, you need to get off this case now because you ain't even had shit to do with this Tamika. And it's not about you Tamika. So look, not- I don't need that look, white boy. Alone. Let him go shoot himself. Look, I told you when uh, El Cuco was showing up to Terry Matlin's daughter, and if I was Glory and my daughter told me that somebody came in there and said that they were glad your daddy is dead and that you're sad, we're moving. I mean, I'm going to get you in counseling just to make sure that you are not having a mental breakdown. But just on the off chance that you, in fact, just had a conversation with somebody and you keep swearing he keep coming back, we don't live there no more. We changing our address. Her in the crib on the floor, like in one of the scenes, or was that supposed to be her? She peed on herself. Like well, I don't was... know. I thought that was a brilliant move either. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, same. I tried to figure that out too. I, I I think that's pee. I think that's what I'm gonna go with that it was pee. I'm not. I think he shed on her floor. But it was wet. I th- so was that stuff in the barn before it dried into a, a casing on everything and turned black. No, but the stuff in the barn was white. Uh, it, 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 yeah. Not so, once it hit the ground. I don't know. I think he was shedding in the house. Hmm. I, I don't I, know. I want to ask y'all a question. What do y'all think the kid that died connection was to all this? Because I, I didn't understand that. And maybe I just missed it. The kid that um, had all the bumps on his neck too. The black kid? Yeah. Tracy Powell? Is that what the kid's name was? The, do you mean the one in Dayton, Ohio? Yeah. I didn't he was those. he was his previous Renfield before Jack. No, she's saying the kids that died. You're saying what's the what is the importance of the kids he's choosing or oh, the kid? When I say kid, I mean like the 20 year old, the one that had all the blisters on the back of his neck that got hit by a car. I think uh, he was in the cemetery when she oh, first took a the picture. One that of the clothes that Holly saw and tried to talk to, and he like walked off. Yeah, he oh, didn't get hit by a car. He committed suicide by cop, mama. Yeah, he folded the key was so that's where Holly was pulling the hole. He this person, um, there was clearly a person in that house who was kind of saying, I'm sorry to the guy who died because he had been convicted of killing those other girls or whatever. And they were trying to figure out the connection. She was trying to figure out the connection. Like she made the connection that the person who must have folded the clothes and put them on the bed in the house was the same guy she ran into at the cemetery, who also ended up being the guy that kidnapped the trucker or whatever. And committed, like Roger said, committed death by a cop suicide or committed suicide by cop shooting, whatever you want to label it as. That guy is how pieces of evidence were found in Heath's house and his mama's basement from those little girls. He was his previous, I keep calling them Renfields because that's what, you know, Renfield from Dracula became his stalking horse, half dead, could work, he did the dirty work of a vampire during the daytime. But he was his previous uh, bitch, I guess, in Ohio. I mean, I more like to think of him as a ghoul, like uh, yeah, Kadeem Harris in uh, Vampire in Brooklyn. He was okay. more like Eddie Murphy's ghoul. Still a Renfield. Yeah, they're still but they're the ghouls. They just ain't turned into zombies at the same time. Right, whatever. Like the, he's take he took control. I, his name is Tracy Powell. Um, I wrote it down and put it in big circles because it was a complete deviation. I was like, what's gonna do with this? He was who helped. He he was who lured those girls 
and brought them to uh, Evil Heath. But mm-hmm. he's who planted the evidence leading up to him setting up Heath to be convicted of the crime. So the underwear that was found in places it wasn't supposed to be. The places where he couldn't go himself while he was transitioning into Heath. He took Tracy first. And Tracy was the boyfriend of the older sister of the two girls who he killed. Okay, thank you. So he helped, yeah, so he helped him to find his food. He's he's Jack, in other words. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was, he's, he's Jack version one. But even bigger, he kidnapped those girls and took oh, those right. girls to, to Evil Heath, uh, you know, Hungry Heath. I don't know what we're calling him. What are we calling him? I feel bad. Oh, the thing, um, which is what Ralph tried to allude to, being an asshole. I don't, I, I don't, but I I I, th- I kind of think it's interesting the question that I thought Latoya was asking. Like, how is this thing choosing what kids it decides to go get? I think it picks kids yeah, it can get to. Yeah, the ones that are the most available. Vulnerable kids. This little boy, the one that, I mean, the little boy um, in, in Terry's town was by himself. His bike broke down. Yeah, and Terry is somebody who he would stop and let help him. But like, why did he choose to leave the little black girl alone? Which God bless. Why didn't he choose to leave the little? Why did why did he choose to leave the little black girl alone? Was it just so there would be another witness that was a child and nobody yes. would say I would lie? Yes, <laughs> and he was full. Yeah, I think that he just wanted to have as many witnesses as possible. But when he saw that little girl, I swear to God, he thought about it. He thought about it. Yeah. He thought about eating her. Yeah, like even though I just ate. A fucking juicy big ass bacon burger. If I see another one for free, I'm thinking about it. I mean, I can have some pudding. He thought about it. Yeah. yeah. He thought about eating her and then he decided that she would be better as a witness and got in that van. And you know, she lived, thank God. Cause I can't start a show off with them murdering little black kids. I, I can't. I can't. I that would have been but that was one of the reasons why I'm watching this show and I and I'm watching the differences between what happened with the case in Ohio and what happened with the case in New York and what happened with the case in Georgia with uh, Terry, where the Latino woman is like, I had evidence, I had proof, and they didn't even care. And, but, you know, she comes from a culture to where these types of beings have never fallen out of common conversation. And she's like, what he's done can't be undone. She's correct. Right. But clearly it has, if it's using all of these people to do its biddings then it's not any like we so the way we term like powerful it has the ability to manipulate and control people by punishing them right and marking them but if it has to get all of these people to do its biddings then to me right there that that's its weakness it's kind of like um it's kind of like when your parents used to tell you know if somebody if a bully is picking you on you in school the best way is to just ignore them now in this case you can't ignore this motherfucker because he's you know whatever but also that seems to be something that kind of runs throughout um, anything having to do with gods. Like they get their power from the, from the attention. And like, especially if you read or watch American gods, that's pretty much the whole thing about how they end up dying out or going away completely. Mm-hmm. People not remembering them and them having no real importance and no fan base is, you know, it's, it's elf and Santa Claus not being able to get his play up his, uh, his sleigh up in the sky. The kids don't sing and clap or whatever. Right. I feel like that's going to be the thing that they use to, kind of um, kill this thing or what do their version of what they think might be killing it. I think this thing is real, but I think it takes a lot of work for it to, I think if it didn't have to transition from person to person, it would be a bigger problem, but because it chooses to shed skins and then has to transform itself into a new skin so quickly, 
Um, and by quickly, I mean it's oh, it's overwhelming desire for their for the skin it chose to be, you know, convicted and go to jail. That because it needs something to trigger what it needs to eat, I think that's a weakness. I don't know necessarily. I don't know if it's going to be convincing people not to believe in El Cuco that kills it. I think they're going to have to catch it before it's too strong while it's still trying to transition and still trying to grow into Claude. Well, no, no, or, not to, to make people not believe it. And I'm, it's not that type of guy. It's not the sex guy. What I'm saying is that that this its weakness clearly is being able to manipulate people and having host to parasite. So if you take away the host, then ultimately that should kill the parasite in this situation. But, but would it wouldn't it just go get another pair? Wouldn't it just go find another host? So you have to like, but you have then that's why you have to keep trying to take away it. So, so right now it's in a vulnerable state, right? I feel like it's used a lot of its energy for the host that it's using, which is why it's sticking with Jack, even though he isn't super fucking dependable, it hasn't been very helpful, which is why he keeps abusing him and he had his mother to come back and beat the shit out of him. Uh, it's it's constant punishment, but clearly he can't choose another one or has chosen not to for some reason because he hasn't put any energy into it. And I think it's because he doesn't have any energy. So he's going through the mm-hmm. change metamorphosis right now so he's at his weakest state so my thing is if you take away the host that it has when it's in this state now can it survive enough to even gain because does it have enough energy to even select and choose another host because it has to go through the whole cycle again i'm assuming it gets energy not just from feasting off the grievance of the families and these children but also from you know becoming a new thing or a new person as well so like i think it would have to go somewhere it could eat but i don't necessarily it wouldn't have to. We all can agree it's in Claude. It, it's 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 growing himself into Claude right now. Yeah, but I think it's super weak right now too. I think it's like Agreed. almost indefensible. But I think if they manage to keep it from being able to kill as Claude, I don't think that would stop it unless they got it, their hands on it. Mm-hmm. I'm trying real hard right here, and I tell you, I'm trying real hard. But <laughs> um, I think I think it's more along the lines that. I think it didn't expect to have to expend this. It didn't expect Ralph not to let it go. When Mm -hmm. it showed up and stood in the crowd, it came to eat because it was feeding off the frenzy that they allowed to develop around Terry being walked into the courthouse. And I think it got to eat extra when Terry died. And then it showed up at Terry's kid's house and was eating off her pain. But then it started to have to use the energy that it was eating to try to stop Ralph. But we know that it, that Ralph isn't its real threat. It can manipulate Ralph through dreams, just like it's been manipulating everyone else because these people are very responsive. But it hasn't managed to stop them. So not, to me, it's not Ralph that it's that's the threat. That's why Ralph isn't sitting in the fucking passenger side right now. Oh, no, it's Holly. We all know it's Holly. Because he can't manipulate her the way he can manipulate them. Her mind doesn't work the same. But I think he thinks if he can stop Holly, everything else falls apart. Because if Holly's gone, no one believed her anyway, right? They still don't believe her. They think that she's wishing to Santa Claus in June. She looks extra crazy. So, yeah, that he absolutely thinks that she's the biggest threat because she is the only, she's his only threat right now. If she yeah. goes away and stops investigating this the way that she is, they'll never find this thing. But I think, but I don't think that necessarily just stopping Claude from being able to be framed is enough. I think that it would just be able to walk around looking like Claude till it picks somebody else and it would just go places that people were sad and grieving in pain, even if it had to circle back to a place that it's already killed something for extra fallout to keep itself alive. So it'll you be really interesting. So you have to get it in a metamorphic state. 
then. I, that's what I agree. But that's or, one of the things that I like that they're doing different on the show than what they did in the book. Like in the show, they make it clear that one of the reasons why it doesn't get caught is because it leaves an area. And that the reason why it's really pissed off is because it can't abandon this latest kill and go into stasis because they won't stop hunting for it. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm really liking that they're doing it slightly different in the show. They're making it feel like they're right on its tail and it's never had a chance, you know? Um, and so like when Holly was sitting in the living room and she was running it down, like if we could catch this host, we can keep it from going forward. And then when she saw what Janine had to show her and she was like, well, there's the answer to my question of what the, you know, what the gap was. I think it'll be really interesting once we see from this point forward what happens and what they show us other than Jack and, and Holly. Like, what's Eunice doing? What's uh, Paley doing? What's Glory doing? I think it'll be, I think we'll get more answers about what happens next there when they tell us what happens to the rest of the Scooby gang. Question. Um, could anybody else see from that damn security footage in the club that his hand was scratched? Because I couldn't see that shit. I don't know if the cinematographers thought that that was clear as day showing us that damn video footage in the strip club and saying, does it look like he's scratching him? I was like, it looks like fuzzy fucking... 480 pixel grain footage. I can't see that. No, that was trash footage. Uh, we know he, he he had mentioned it in his testimony, so we were it was supposed to be more of confirmation bias. I don't think we were supposed to be able to tell what happened in that video because that video was like uh, Betamax. See, I thought that was terrible use. I thought that was one of the only scenes that I just was kind of like, why does this scene exist? Because nobody can see a scratch in this in this footage. It just looks like two guys has hands near each other. You couldn't even see his footage so yeah i was like do they plan to use this in court because you like and and i know they don't he was just kind of confirming his theory that maybe something is being so like ralph believed too like why would he even ask if it looks like someone's being scratched if he doesn't think something is being passed from person to person because ralph is stupid no, have you ever met someone that has to have evidence? They, I, I don't know if you guys know people like this. I know people like this. They have to see it. So he saw it and he's asking questions about it, but that doesn't mean he believes it. That means he wants someone to tie, to make sense of it for him. He's trying I, to make sense of it. I, 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 I get he, it. I just hope he doesn't believe in God because there's not a lot of evidence. No, I mean, I don't, I don't mean that he's stupid in the sense, but I, that's what I mean. It's like, I feel like people who who only want to lean into confirmation bias are the kind of people who turn around and say, Oh, you know, you, you, you just only want to hear what you want to hear. Like they don't want you to disagree with them because it means they have to evaluate where they are. So Ralph has a statement from this guy, Claude that conforms, but has loose ends. Mm -hmm. So he's trying to make, to dot all the I's and cross all the T's so he can stick with his confirmation that Terry did it. But now he's on the other side of the table and those things that he said, see, he said this, we see that, I see this. He's like, now these people are telling me that this means something and I needed to still not mean anything. Mm. So I don't think he saw anything on that footage other than a blurry picture of what looked like maybe Terry shaking hands with that guy. I don't think that he could tell whether or not he had been scratched. I don't think that he could tell that there was blood on his hand when he pulled it away from Terry, other than what the guy told him. I think the for me, it felt like it's one of those moments where Ralph knew that somebody had said something that sounded weird in their statement. No one ever followed up on it. 
and now it's picking at him because this other group of people who he wants and needs to believe are just crazy. This other person is telling him that that was a vital clue that he missed. So th that that's just what that's just where I got, it. especially from his face. Like he's staring at the screen. I'm like, you can't see nothing on that screen, man. That's why I Eunice is like, I got a meeting in ten minutes, man. I didn't I even want to put like that much thought into it. I just thought it was a poorly placed cut scene for the. I was like, I don't know why you're showing me as the viewer this because I cannot see someone's hand being scratched. It would have been different if they had shown him looking at the footage and done what they usually do for us, cut into the actual moment so that we could see it in full HD, him scratch that guy's hand and then pull back out of it and showed it that it's still Ralph looking at camera footage, but we actually saw it happen, right? To give us the visual that Ralph is claiming he can see. I just thought it was poorly placed and cut footage. I just thought it was bad footage. And Even actually, if he had a whole like, like maybe I couldn't see the cut, but if Claude had like looked at his hand and then looked at Terry because he yeah. got scratched, maybe something. But they didn't. They didn't do any of that. I feel you on that. That was that was my only nitpick. Uh, you know, Ralph's gonna Ralph. So we'll see how this show ends. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I think that's a pretty good stopping point for where everybody. Anybody else feel like you got anything you want to say at this point? Other than I can't wait till six o'clock so I can watch tonight's episode. I do have one thing. So. Based off, off what happened to his family and the Latina girl's family, which, by the way, when her dad and her, her uncle got killed, that was that was wild. Um, based on that, does that mean that Terry's family should be dead? I think one of the reasons why it hasn't left is because it hasn't gotten the family. And mm -hmm. it was. Yeah. Yeah. But I also think that as as hard as we are on Glory, one of the reasons why it hasn't gotten satisfaction is because Glory hasn't fallen apart in a way that leads to the kind of chaos it wants like like his mom fell apart because yeah. his mom moved apart okay okay his mm -hmm. mom drove straight to hell into traffic mm -hmm. lord have mercy or like no one's gotten angry enough to go after terry's family i mean that whole family is wiped out anyways so if you're looking for uh, the little boy's family to do it that whole family is gone no mm -hmm. i think it ate well off that boy's family god help us mm -hmm. well, no yeah. i meant like Mm -hmm. Sorry. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, they did. The father literally hung himself through a window, which is physically, I still don't understand. But yeah. Well, he jumped off something that didn't have adequate height and swung to the left. Oh, no, I got it. I still was just like, that was. No, I'm still traumatized by it. I just needed to say it out loud. I'm just glad they didn't do it the way it was in the book. And that's all I'm saying. But um, uh, no, I'm, I think. Like, just like that guy who was in the restaurant who threatened Glory, you've got some ball, you got some brass to come in here. You know, where are your kids? Maybe somebody will want to get revenge. I think I think there are a myriad of ways in a small town like this that clearly was a powder keg that things could have gone left, but no one reacted. She didn't get shunned as harshly as she would have, but for Howie, the lawyer. Mm -hmm. So I think um, I think a couple of hiccups came into play with with uh, El Cuco managing to get all of Terry's family so he could eat off them. Yeah, you're right. Okay, I just that's the only thing that I'm thinking about is don't go after those. Please don't go after Glory. But see, now I have new problems to things to worry about for episode seven tonight. Thanks, Toya. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Thanks. 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 Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we already know it needs new energy to, to make up for the energy it had to use to whoop Jack's ass. Yeah, that ass. Magnifique. Yes, I enjoyed that. Mm -mm. 
I agree. I don't know. Okay. Avoid that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thanks for playing. Um, we'll get together again. Hope probably after two more episodes. You think? Yeah. How many episodes is it? Do you know? Uh, it's supposed yeah. to be ten. Ten. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm fine with every two episodes. That's fine. I just feel like it gives us more to talk about without feeling like we have to. You know, I did want to ask Brandon one question because you did say that you like Stephen King. And I asked Toya this question at the beginning. So we'll end this episode asking you, uh, what are your top three Stephen King stories, campfire stories, since you listen, not read? Uh, oh, I think I know one of them. Go ahead. <laughs> Let me see. Um, so I haven't read that many, but um, I've seen a lot, though. But I haven't read that many. I will say that um, I think Pet Cemetery is is at the top next to it. Like I put them kind of hand in hand. As, as two of my favorite stories, I think the film adapt the tele both film adaptations or both TV adaptations of Pet Cemetery, I think are uh, abysmal. I think it, you know, is is fine. The first one, it's fine, but I think the book it and Pet Cemetery up there for me. And then um, I'm gonna go ahead. I'm gonna go ahead and say this is just fucking typical. I'll just say The Shining book. I think the film is okay after reading the book. I think the book is much better but i'll go with that i know cujo is next on my list and then the stand is also in my audible list i think those are my next two and clearly i had outsiders probably after a couple of months from now okay okay i mean those are those are good ones i like it i like it i feel that at some point in time that you need to move carrie up on your throwback list oh you know what see and these are movies i forget that are stephen king um stories so yeah i can i actually should probably do that i probably should put carrie and misery i'm just you know okay so misery um um, one i can't watch that movie i cannot watch a man's legs being broken that way i can't do it like i just i can't it's like a bad mtv show i can't do it so i don't like if, if i if i read misery it's gonna be for the hulu uh castle rock joint it will not be to go back okay. and watch that again because i will not Okay, I feel like I feel like we're gonna have a Castle Rock crew going in just a little bit. Castle Rock was so good. But Brandon, I'm gonna say this. It is your fault that I read it. Okay? Well because I kept talking about it. Well, I, I love that. Because word. I grew up with the TV adaptation. I never told you this. I've been meaning to tell you this. I grew up watching the TV adaptation, right? And then I watched the movie. And the movie was good, but you know, mm-hmm. it left a little bit to be desired. And it was you that talked about the It book and how the the Black character really pulled it all together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went back and read it. Your fault. I feel like you did her a solid. I, I feel like I did. I'm sorry that you had to read through that group child thing. Hey, hey, we pretend like the, the we we pretend like the moment in the woods did not happen. Mm-mm. But other than that, I think the whole book is I just think I just think it is an amazingly well written story that you know cross references time periods and establishes a very 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 dark fucking character thing. Mm-hmm. Like it just I've read it, I've done it twice. Like <laughs> I just I, I just I love listening to that story. And if you I don't know if you audibled it or read it, but the person who did I the audible. voice reading for Audible was great. Like, he is great. Yeah, he did a great job. It was the Audible that I did. Okay, yeah. cool. Okay, yeah. well, thank you for coming to talk about episodes. I guess at this point, it was kind of a four, five, and six of the HBO's Outsider. And we will obviously be back 
because I'm pretty sure we're all riding through to the end. Uh, and yeah. <laughs> the first episode is up on the website and I'm pretty sure it's going to go out on the main feed probably today or tomorrow. And then I'm Brandon, you have to come play for the rest. It's just kind of a moral imperative at this point. It's fine. Just let me know um, when it's going down and I will be so enthusiastic to come hang out with us for you. So enthusiastic. (laughs) (laughs) Brandon's number. It's cool. It's cool. Um, We know. We're on to you, Brandon. We're on to you. I don't know why everybody think I'm doing something I'm not, but it's fine. It's oh, it's cause I mean, I mean, I don't know. Maybe you have a bit of a, a J- Jason Bateman problem. It's 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 only it's your voice, not your face. Oh, that's hilarious. Uh, that's a great way to pull that in. Ah. All, All right, right, thanks for listening, y'all, and I'll catch you next time around. A human being cannot be in two realities at the same time.